more stuff about the book, and experiences from our own childhoods. Enjoy this episode of Awesome Today. Awesome Today is a mostly daily show about stuff. Don't overcomplicate it. It's barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy it, and have an awesome today. Hello. Hello. Happy June to you. Happy June, whatever day it may be. <laughs> Whoever's birthday it was, is, or yes. is to come. Right. Feels like a spiritual song. Ooh, I think that's right. Um, it is, in real time, Nico's first birthday. Yeah. The little monkey. He's a year old. He is a Today. monkey. He's not little. He is oh, a year old. He's a big old monkey. He is something, man. He's been in rare form <laughs> starting at the beginning of his birthday. Like yes. 12.30 a.m.? Yes. Whew. Megan, you bore the brunt of that, and I thank you. Mm -hmm. And yet, magically, I managed to stay awake most of the night I anyway. Say, I think you got a worse night's sleep than I did. Yeah. And then, man, today... I mean, not to sit and celebrate like I'm a snowflake. I'm, I'm not suggesting this from that perspective. Okay. But just to say today, as all of us do have, was a real butt kicker of a day. I'm exhausted. Okay. I feel like I've done a million things but accomplished nothing. Sure, sure, sure. <sighs> and I just feel like I've constantly feel like I've run up a flight of stairs and I can't breathe. So maybe I'm going to have that stroke I've been looking forward to. <laughs> You've been planning on. Yeah. Um, you made a couple of... <laughs> stroke vacation. <laughs> Honestly, I've recently gotten to that point of exhaustion and I've, I've been here before where I'm like, maybe I'll have to go in the hospital for something where I could get right. some sleep. Of course, having been in the hospital a year ago today, I remember that it's not the vacation you hope for because they're coming in every hour or so to check your vitals and whatnot. So I don't know. Um, can yes. I, can I interject? A final, perhaps final, perhaps not final thought on this topic. You may. I'm wondering if my lack of sleep isn't due to mild agitation. And agitation, not in the sense of a bad mm -hmm. word, a negative yeah. thing. Just through this book and then ultimately because of what led me to this book, I have recently discovered a whole slew mm -hmm. of truly impressive intellectual minds that I was not previously aware of. And so I've, I have felt like a starving person at the table of feast and goodness, along with honestly, what's even more haphazard than usual preparation for our episodes. I've been consuming yeah. four to six hours a day of this other new material and just really wondering where it's been all my life. It is a virtual festivus for the Enneagram 5 when you, as an investigator type, happen upon a new treasure trope of knowledge and wisdom that you had not explored yet. I'm jealous of you in well, that sense. And at the same time, and maybe for the box you put me in that I don't admit that I'm in, one of the tendencies is to make the experience miserable and experientially, just the fatigue, the gotta keep drinking from the fire hose can't stop that's what you do every time <laughs> yeah i do whether or not that's a personality thing i don't know but that's what i do and i can't not do it i'm yeah. compelled you're compelled so yeah i'm tired and 
not necessarily smarter than I was, but there are a lot of new things in my head. In addition, you also today made uh, some rosaries, mm -hmm. some rosary tenors for each of our older set of children's godparents, your longtime best friend and his wife. And then you made me one. That was a surprise. I did. I did. That's what I did. I was not expecting that, and it was a delight. I wasn't either. And it was kind of a similar experience where I knew I needed to get the other two done and out the door. And then there was this looming idea for the third. Mm -hmm. And I was just compelled and couldn't stop, and I didn't enjoy the process. You hated it. You like, gave it to me, but you hated it. <laughs> That's how much I love you. I would do things to the point where I hate them so that you could have something. Thank you for that. Well, in the meantime, we've been having some really good, productive, honest conversation in the Facebook group for the superstars, talking about why we're talking about this book, mm -hmm. some of the different dynamics it's brought up. Another reason neither of us slept great last night is we were up until the late hours, very late for me, pretty typical bedtime for you, uh, talking about some of the dynamics um, that this book has brought out and how it to our personal experiences mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it has elicited between the two of us some very good difficult but important conversation and so we kind of unlocked or I did um, unlock some of that and made a space in the superstars Facebook group today for people to kind of share some of their responses to just the experience of hearing about this book of hearing our summaries which believe me you guys doesn't really do justice, right, of course, in the same sense yeah. that no recap really can. Um, but just hearing some of the different responses you all have had, um, you know. And, and I'm nodding. I'm oblivious to most of this because my schedule didn't yes. permit living in that. But, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, in the sense that all of us, I think when we recommend a book, a text, an author, a movie, all of us, you know, kind of come with that pre-apology of, I don't agree with every single thing, you know, I think that's become right, a, right. a sort of standard in our, in our culture. And I think that both of us, that was fascinating. <laughs> there's uh, digital music playing at our house. No children, just ghost, just the music. Um, it might be ghostly, who knows? Um, but yeah, just that idea that we didn't go into this book, like, okay, this is going to teach us everything we need to know. We're totally going to be on board with all of it we went into it with like, what's going on in our culture? How can we better understand this? How can we mm -hmm. identify these things in ourselves? And how does this apply to our family life? And then in a larger picture for the awesomes, how does this apply to being able to move forward with an anti-fragile yeah. attitude? Yeah. So speaking of all of that, this chapter in particular is the one that I just was like, I actually cried when I was listening really? to parts of this. Really? I literally did because I saw some of my good intentions with bad ideas in vivid 3D technicolor. Because yeah, it has to do yeah. with parenting. So let's get into it. It's the chapter okay. nine, the decline of play. Yes, the decline of play. Um, and how many should, just one point or multiples here? Let's go ahead and just start right okay. here at the top. The decline of unsupervised I'm telling you, I'm a little, I'm not top of game right now. So you've I may had, make up some words. You've had extremely little sleep. It's true. Do you want me to read this or you got it? I'll try one more time. If okay. I fail, I'm going to lay down and take a nap while you read it. Okay. The decline of unsupervised free play is our fourth explanatory thread. Children, like other mammals, need free play in order to finish the intricate wiring process of neural development. 
Children deprived of free play are likely to be less competent physically and socially as adults. They are likely to be less tolerant of risk and more prone to anxiety disorders. Yes. So this is why this particular chapter really pummeled me. I'm using a lot of words that manifest violence. You That's are. how I you felt. Were violent wording. I felt beat down by this chapter in the sense of like it was just golly, I've lived in this space of, you know, even with the older girls, mm -hmm. there are their experiments, right? Mostly. Yes. We're we're trying to figure out how to navigate this. We are not and have never been a family that's like, let's start violin lessons at three, let's start right. soccer at four, let's do this, this, this. That has not been our approach. But at the same time, we do live in a state where there is offered um, formal pre-K through the schools. So Daisy and AJ both started day long right. school at age four, right. where unlike when you and I might have gone to a loose preschool situation where there's mostly play happening right. they're going in and absolutely starting with letters and by for the girls by the time they're finishing pre-k they're starting to put words together uh, letters together to make words and beginning that beginning literacy process and this is in place of what would have been a time of big amounts of socialization mm -hmm. with other girls with boys with like how taking turns works how um, how to listen and follow instructions those types of things um, and there, there definitely is some of that but there was a lot more like let's get ready for kindergarten let's get ready for kindergarten and then right. kindergarten let's get ready let's get ready let's get ready all the way to the point where our freshman in high school this past year was taking courses that I can recall not having until I was a junior in yeah. high school. And I remember specifically this as it relates to mathematics because that's something, even with my now comparatively limited exposure to math in high school, I went on to take every single math course offered at the university I went to and walked away using for my first career, a absolute <laughs> boatload of statistical analysis. Yeah. Um, math logic is what applies to computer programming and then carrying that over in a new and different way into my second career, which now is almost equal to the first in duration. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, from my, my underachieving mathematics, but then here she is at 15, just bawling over math homework and freaking out. And I'm looking and thinking, well, Damn, I am too. I don't, how, how can a freshman do this? Right. It's a weird thing. Yes, exactly. So all of that to say, um, this sort of sets the context for what has happened to free play in our society and our culture. And again, I think I already said this, that we who are children of the 70s and 80s, certainly our parents before us, look back at this time, this stretch of like zero to five, let's say, and even mm -hmm. in a few years past that, as not having the pressure that maybe we feel. I can remember even though we didn't start violin at three and, you know, or in my other music lessons, thinking, should we, should she be learning another language right now? Should we be? Right. So what did you do as a kid? What, at whatever, what's the earliest age you remember an activity and what did that look like for you? An activity in general? That was, that was, Either true free play oh, yeah. away and or 
if you had an organized, which they, they identify an organized activity, like I participate on a soccer team isn't true yes. free play, but it's still better than right. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk about the importance of like kid organized games, mm -hmm. like uh, capture the flag. And but but what do you, things. what's your experience? So yeah, I can remember being, you know, three and four years old. And of course I have all these siblings and playing things like animals at the zoo. That was a big one. We loved playing that. We didn't really know what school was like exactly, but our imaginations of it and what we had seen on TV and movies, we would play school in our little playroom at home. We certainly played a lot, a lot of house. Yeah. Um, I we had Is this with other kids too. And... Um, yeah, definitely a lot of sibling play. Mm -hmm. Again, with my sister being fourteen months younger than me, and then having a brother pretty quickly after that. Um, you can imagine we made him do all kinds of things in the service oh, yes. of free play. I've been victim of that myself. Um, in summers, we would just, my mom would just turn us out in the backyard. We'd have a wading pool to play around with. We'd baptize each other over and over in the wading pool. Um, right on. We would create all kinds of societies, and this was with neighbor kids, all kinds of societies with rules and structures and order of our own that we've made up in the, you know, in the bamboo patch at the back of the yard. Those types of things. How about you? I I thought of this the other day, um, even before we'd kind of hit this, because he's mentioned free play, maybe in this, but definitely in other stuff that I've come across. I can remember absolutely at the age of five, and this was 1980, we had moved from a rural location into a proper city. Mm -hmm. And the the little cul-de-sac that we lived on, there were no other kids my age to play with, but through our backyard, across the drainage ditch, kind of catty corner, there was someone that was, he was a year and a half younger than me. It was close enough that we could play. Actually, he couldn't have, maybe a year younger than me. He was four, I was five. We played, and it was like, his, I'll call him Ross. I can't remember his name. Uh, you know, Mom, can I go play with Ross? Okay, go play with Ross. And, and I don't know if she watched me or not as I went over there, but I would go over there and play over there for hours. But I remember very specifically one time that we'd gone over to Ross's. And with our backyards somewhat butting up against each other, it wasn't like I was a great distance away, but it felt very risky that we'd gone around to the front yard, which was a whole separate neighborhood for his Oh, mine. right, yes. And there, then across the street from his house, were some older kids playing, and one of them had come over, and he was probably eight, and had decided that, so, so this is a long drawn out story, and I apologize, but you asked, right? Mm -hmm. I did. This was the era where professional wrestling was starting to get big, but not <laughs> not all the way to the Hulk Hogan era, which was the prettier, cleaned up right, era. Right, right, right. This was the real bootleg area where dudes had <laughs> razor blades in their wristbands and they'd cut their own faces to bleed, and it was very unsanitary. <laughs> Pretty rough, and a lot of the stuff they did in the ring was like, you can get maimed doing that. What do you, don't do that. Well, this turd significantly bigger older all of that he'd come over into the yard and basically he started with ross and, and gave us the choice actually no he started with me oh, he no. started with me he gave us the choice and said i can either put this wrestling move on you or this one both of them painful one of yeah. them 
I think one of the first one was like a suplex or something, or where you grab somebody in a headlock and fall on their head. Oh, no! And, yeah. And the second one was the figure four, which they do a weird thing with your legs that hurts like hell and can actually blow your knee out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and so here's an example of, I mean, there was some, that was probably beyond the kind of threat you want to introduce your mm -hmm. children to for, for this paste anti-fragility, but... I was a tough kid. Yeah. My sister was six years older than me, mm -hmm. and I was used to having to scrap yes. to survive. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I can remember being scared, but had made up in my mind in that moment, I'm not, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I sure will not. It ain't happening. And so he, <laughs> he was trying to make me pick, and I'm sure it was very ineloquent. It may have been just been like, no. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 wouldn't agree. And uh, and so he gave up on me, and then he put Ross in the figure four, and Ross was balling. And then he turned to me and, and tried to uh -huh. go again, and I pushed him. Yeah. I'm sure, as a five-year-old, it was a real threatening push, but I pushed him. And then what did happen that was good is Ross's mom heard the crying mm -hmm. and came out, and there was some hell to pay. Yes, yes, good. Yeah, that was, and that was one of many many instances yes. of like I could have a small diary potentially of reasons I should be dead yes that's that's entry number one early in the list yeah. <laughs> okay let's keep talking about why this kind of stuff that we now okay. are just like freaking out thinking yeah. about what if what if, yeah, if that happened to that? one of our kids I would I'd probably beat up another little kid <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to jail for you son I'm, I'm fine with it not probably helping him though um, free play, according to Peter Gray, is activity that is freely chosen and directed by the participants and undertaken for its own sake, not consciously pursued to achieve ends that are distinct from the activity itself. This is the kind of play that play experts say is most valuable for children, yet is also the kind of play that has declined most sharply in the lives of American children and... As I read that and thought about that, again, it made me wonder, you know, we went through, I think we're past the participation trophy culture, mm -hmm. right? Right. I wonder if that wasn't maybe child psychology's attempt to introduce free play where it didn't exist. Oh, maybe so. Because they were removing the ability to win or lose. And right. They were saying, just come out and do some stuff yeah. together. It was received like a turd in a punch bowl. Nobody liked it. Well, I think that's an important point. It's not consciously perceived to achieve ends that are distinct from the activity itself. In other words, you guys weren't out there practicing wrestling moves because like, okay, guys, this right. is going to show how, you know, how to use your large muscle groups. This right. is how right. group cooperation works. This is how to stand up for yourself. Be you sure don't and stretch do first. You don't want to blow a hammy. <laughs> but seriously, this is just kids messing around mm -hmm. is what free play is ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's move on to the next point. Okay. The decline in free play was likely driven by several factors, including... An unrealistic fear of strangers and kidnapping since the 80s. Uh, the rising competitiveness for admission to top universities over many decades. A uh, rising emphasis on testing, test preparation, homework. A corresponding de-emphasis on physical and social skills since the early 2000s. Exactly. So free play, like you were talking about with your friends and with 
my growing up years, it was really unmonitored. Mm -hmm. I can remember being five years old, my best friend, we lived in a very teeny tiny, tiny town, smaller than the one that you grew up in and graduated from. Um, and I can remember my best friend's house was three blocks away. I knew exactly how to get there. I remember being five years old, younger than the twins. And my mom would be like, okay, I'd say I'm going to errands. She'd right, say, okay, right. I guess she just trusted that I got there okay. Um, I can remember in fourth grade, we lived, I'm, I'm guessing now, uh, roughly a mile away from school, but it wasn't a straight shot down the road. It was around and about. But I can remember, uh, technically not free play, but fourth grade is when we got to start playing flag football and I would get on my bike wearing full pads the full uniform including helmet and ride my bike this mile through a much larger right. city uh what 30 30,000 ish population and yeah exactly wouldn't dream of that now we're terrified right exactly this fear of strangers of and kidnapping, the rising emphasis on testing anyone who's in education. That's yeah. actually a primary reason why I never wanted to go back to teaching. Because yeah. how can you enjoy teaching literature and writing when all of the emphasis is on this quantitative yeah. testing? And we, we went to a teacher's college. Mm -hmm. So we do have a ton of friends who were, and many who we've watched leave the teaching ranks, surely because of this. The corresponding the emphasis on physical, which speaks differently to me than the, the social skills portion, but the physical skills, do you remember as a kid the presidential fitness exams? Yes, absolutely. And I can't remember, it had to have been Reagan or, or Bush in the aftermath that instituted this. Probably Reagan, I feel like. But yeah, and so along with, I remember we had an obstacle course day. Mm -hmm. And this is fascinating to think about again in this area era of protectionism right where there was you know the like the mesh climbing net we had one of those that went literally from the floor to the ceiling of the gymnasium mm -hmm. and again this is kindergarten through fourth grade we yeah. go in there and kids climbing up and down that to the ceiling and back down we had uh, and there was you know there was a mat that was like six inches thick so if you fell it might not crack your skull open but you'd never walk the same again um, then, then in other stations, there was a rope climb, again, that went from oh, the yes. floor to the ceiling. And that one had those old one-inch mats underneath it. Yep. There, the Next to that was another rope that went to the ceiling. You could climb all the way up the bleachers and then up to the second tier mm -hmm. of the thing and then swing on that back and forth. And in, in retrospect, it's like, that could never exist today. Right. The, the legal ramifications and all that but that was just it and there was one gym teacher yeah and there'd be gosh there had to be at least 30 of us in that PE class sure. and split up amongst the stations she'd just check a stopwatch blow a whistle we'd move do the next dangerous thing move um and that's I mean as terrifying as that was there was some very real physical strength Physical, in kids being developed. Yes, physical strength that I think leads to a mental empowerment. You bet. I didn't get to discover this really until I was an adult. Now I do remember these PE classes and gym time and whatever, truly from my growing up years. But then as an adult, when you and I 
began to do um, serious weightlifting. Yeah, powerlifting. Powerlifting. Meg is a powerful woman. I am. We haven't done it in a while. We both have slacked. But um, for various physical reasons. But um, I remember in those moments of lifting heavy, heavy weight that it unlocked something in me about what I believed I could do and right. what I couldn't do. And right. really bumping up against those mental barriers of like, I can't do this, but then being delighted to discover, oh my gosh, I actually can do this. That, that physical side of things absolutely translates into all of this stuff that we're talking about because it is severe. It, it's discomfort to the point where it feels like physical danger. Yeah. Um, and, and again, man, you, you do that enough and anchor in in a few moments and do it. And it is so, so life-changing in terms of your confidence and realization that you can really tolerate some crap. And then I look at our older girls who have not had that experience, have had very, the most minimal exposure possible to physical exertion, to, they're not into sports. So that is, right. I mean, I know athletics does still offer that for kids. We just have not pushed that direction. Right. We haven't pushed. We haven't had great stuff available here either. Right. Exactly. And so I think about what they are missing in that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do this. And then like, oh, I can actually do this. How mm -hmm. empowering that is not on a physical level only, but on a mental level, on an emotional level. Right. And so maybe here's one example of goodish parenting, maybe, mm -hmm. if we have any salvation in all of this. Okay. Is... A couple of years ago, AJ had asked to play soccer. And yeah. anytime the kids ask, we, we've said, yeah, we just haven't pushed them towards stuff. Right. She asked to play soccer. We get hooked up. And I'm I'm there because it's far enough away from her home. There's no sense in dropping her off to drive home to turn around and go back. And the coaching is terrifyingly bad. They were bad humans, shouldn't have been trusted with children, that's, and that's not even from an overprotective sense. That's us versus them thinking. They were they were Good bad. versus evil. They were evil, evil coaches. <laughs> and so I offered to help coach, at which point I practically became the head coach of the you team did. because they uh, were just uh, like, like Yeah, here, take it all. Yeah. And but it was too late by the time that had happened, and there'd been no fundamental training at all. And it was it was a miserable season. We it was the last game of the season when our team scored its first goal. It's true. The only goal of the season, which lets you know about how many games we won. It was bad, and our opportunity to play a second year would have been for the same team mm -hmm. with the same coaches and all of that. And so, we had a lot of conversations, and this was, I think, an instance of wisely protecting a kid from too much negative because there was no there was the negative negative stimuli but there was no positive lesson right there other than how to be a a, a loser right it was a bad deal yeah so maybe we won once as a parent exactly a, and again i think this goes yeah. back to what was in the said in the last chapter that there is an amount of childhood adversity that kids need to face, but they yes. have the support system. Right. When they have right. a support system, a scaffolding Which, of parenting to help guide them through it, yes. it's, it can be really helpful. And this translates, obviously, directly to what we're saying for an older kid or an adult even. All of this, it's not to say you go force yourself into truly dangerous situations. 
Um, and I didn't, I don't want that concept to get lost in some of the other places right. where we went with is language violent, all of that. By no means are we suggesting with kids or ourselves that we go into situations where harm is imminent right. or persist in situations where harm is imminent. Yes. But to say, you can be really strong in a moment to look and make that evaluation. Is this really harmful or is it just really unpleasant and might I grow to stick it out or should I get out of here? And absolutely. And I think that for all of our kids, that is something we really want to impart to them is to right. be able to make that judgment call yeah. on their own. Yeah. We can come alongside them while they're here. Hide in the bushes and watch and hope, holding a pistol, waiting to shoot the offender. Yeah. I don't do that. It's, it's just scary to think about how much we, I feel like, how much ground we have to cover to yeah. get to a place where they're... But it's not too late. No, it's not too late. So anyway, you know, these are all sort of like derivatives of the conversation of talking about these are very real things that kids were learning in the context of free play and something that, you know, Gen Z and, and maybe in pushing into some of the millennial generation that they missed out on because of a renewed interest in things that just really didn't leave time for right right okay the rising availability of smartphones and social media interacted with these other trends and the combination has greatly changed the way american children spend their time and the kinds of physical and social experiences that guide the intricate wiring process of neural development i am 50 50 on this one okay you have opinions thoughts and guidance um, I feel like we're pretty, we've been pretty liberal in our access that we've given our kids, uh, two screens, two social media. Yes. I think too much. Okay. Interesting. No, I don't know where the boundary is for that. Right. But I think probably a little too much. Are you saying you're 50, 50 on that it's changing their neural development? Do you think that, uh, I'm, I'm 50, 50 on how to... How seriously to consider the danger okay because maybe I as a who man have lived through the whole violent video games make kids violent mm -hmm. thing which there's never been conclusive mm -hmm. evidence to um, I'm not a violent person mm -hmm. I don't think and I played a lot of violent games. I, I don't know anybody who has, and I know that's not the equivalency of a real study, but that was a big deal. That was a big yeah. deal, and, and there was never any real conclusive study drawn to that. But we lived in that fear so that there were then snap reactions of protectionism so that just like my parents shut down the TV when I was a little kid. Right. In this era, parents you know threw out consoles and got rid of stuff, and... While, yes, some kids during that era, I think different now with video games, during that era, yeah, some kids did sit by themselves and play, but it was more common, at least in my experience, that you had a friend over or went to a friend's house, and so you were still you were still face-to-face -face with a human. Right. You were still interacting with people. Yeah. And so then where I can transition to say, just call it technology is a difficulty here, the difference is that it is it can really replace legitimate social interaction. Right. Even if you're participating through all the same things we would as adults, Facebook and different things like that, it can still be very 
echo chambery. You're not going to go over to your friend Ross's house and walk out in the front yard and have a stranger try to put you in the figure four. If you follow, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. Strangers should never put you in the figure four, no matter how old you are. That's not okay. <laughs> is a good rule for life. Yes. Um, that may be the title of this episode. Yes. I think that I see this where, uh, okay, first of all, I want to get back up and say the unrealistic fear of strangers means after school and in free time, parents are keeping their kids more inward. Yeah. yeah. And so, okay, they're in the house, but you're driving me freaking crazy. So here, get on a screen. Right. I, I myself fall into that, fall into that pattern. I see in my daughter, one thing that I think was good is we did not let her have a phone during middle school. Right. So during her most awkward years, we forced her to be interacting with people face to face. However, almost all of her friends had phones. Right. So they, she could just watch along on a screen with friends. It is still that person to person interaction because you're having to like look on and right. there's a discussion. I don't, and I don't have a problem. This came up in a, a conversation earlier today where our second daughter, she's a big fan of all my friends get to do whatever as the making us feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't bother me. It mm -hmm. bothers you, mm -hmm. but that does not bother me because I, I started working yeah. at the instruction of my father at a very young age. And I can't remember how young I was when every day of the summer I was up at an early hour and out working and I knew less than a hundred yards away my friends were screwing around and sleeping, sleeping, playing games. Yeah. Um, also getting into pornography and different things that I'm really glad I wasn't there for. Uh, but I can remember just that really disgruntled feeling towards my parents and yeah. the unfairness and I'm sure glad it happened now. Yes. All of that to say, I can see in Daisy now that she she's had the um, actual phone with phone service, all this stuff for a year, that it does. She wants that to go with her everywhere. We went to her. Except for when we're trying to call her. She never has. Exactly. It. For sure. Yeah. Or it's not charged. Yeah. yeah. But we went to my parents yesterday, your grandparents, um, for a swim and some hanging out time on my birthday. And she's like, but can I bring my phone? And she just, you know, right. rather, yeah, it's in, it's awkward to engage with your grandparents um, in a lot of cases. Is um, some of that our fault, though? Just through modeling? Because everywhere we go, we have our phone? It may very well be. And so this all causes me to, you know, reflect back on how much are we modeling for them no phone time. Like, if you're in a social gathering, just put your phone down. So, yeah. anyway... The, the loss of free play, the decline of free play, this, you know, we can't deny that the introduction of smartphones and just technology in general plays right. a role, but you're still kind of feeling like maybe it's not the big bad. Right. You know, we've, we've, ugly that this makes it out to be. We've tried, and maybe with good intentions and bad ideas, we've tried to do some things measured around it where it's only been within the last six months that our oldest of children has had access to a computer that was not in a public yeah. room of the home. Yeah. It's only only recently that she's had a laptop that could go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, it was really, it took a little while after she got her phone 
to where she would really figured out how to do any of that as well. So it's it's still very new. Yes. For her. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Free play helps children develop the skills of cooperation and dispute resolution that are closely related to the art of association upon which democracies depend. When citizens are not skilled in this art, they are less able to work out the ordinary conflicts of daily life. They will more frequently call for authorities to apply coercive force to their opponents. They will be more likely to welcome the bureaucracy of safetyism, which makes me think all of Congress should have their phones revoked. <laughs> it, yes, it follows that. Yes. Um, one thing that stood out to me so much from this chapter was they spent some time talking about boys and how they play and mm -hmm. how they navigate play and that like name calling and physical aggression and these types of things are very normal and intrinsic to boy play. Of course, having twin seven-year-old boys, that's like our whole lives right now. It's yeah. just listening to them butt cheek this. Uh, yeah. and, I love you, butt cheek. Yes, and yeah. also now entering into this phase of let's kick each other in the penis and yes. things that I'm like, what? Ill-fated penis kicking years. Yes. <laughs> We've entered. That was not modeled, by the way. No, they how do they, they just figured it yes. out? So so much rough and tumble play, and as coming from my socialization background as a woman, it bothers me, and I want yep. to interfere in referee so much. But in this this chapter recap, does not go into it as much as it does in in the chapter right. talking about the way boys play and why it is important for them to learn these skills through free play. And it kind of talks about too how. Um, we see this come up in the way girls play and navigating the, the social order of things. Um, and that that actually is so important for them. And then to look at how boys and girls play together and what they look like in, in mixed um, environments. Just thinking about how important it is to learn some of these things. One thing they've talked about is when there's no parent around to referee or to say, this is fair, that's not fair. Kids are just totally playing. Like I said, me and neighborhood friends and my siblings making societies when everyone is dependent on everybody else being there and no one taking their ball and going home mm -hmm. metaphorically there's a greater impetus to figure out problem solving yeah. to figure out interpersonal dynamics to figure out bargaining with each other and negotiating yeah. without any parental interference and those are skills that are very intrinsic to the human experience that come alive during free play that cannot be recreated on a screen and really are not emphasized in a classroom setting. Right, or in Congress. <laughs> well, clearly. It's true. It's true. There are a bunch of giant five-year-olds. So that is what's really gonna stick with me is that, you know, I just have to really re-examine my thoughts about early childhood and what's important for learning and what is important to do when and those types of things. We still have all these younger, this younger set of kids now right. that we've experimented with our right. older two. Um, to Stacey's sweet enough. If she needs to live at home forever, we can tolerate that. <laughs> In the meantime, AJ's already, AJ, our entrepreneur, was spending her day planning her business so she could make money. She's going to be ready to fly the nest before we're ready for her to go. For sure. Indeed. So that brings up an interesting, an interesting 
sub thing on this. I was thinking about this earlier today. This is completely not pre-discussed or okay. in the material. I was thinking about, again, when I was a kid, I can remember I was in the third grade when I was first given a responsibility to weed eat the yard as dad mode and had responsibilities building and got paid for those things. Mm -hmm. But interesting, as I look back, different from, from how I've considered things in the present, that at the very moment that I began to have the opportunity to earn money for things that, you know, maybe parents would have viewed as, hey, this is your contribution to the family. Mm -hmm. What do you mean get paid? Well, they paid me, but then at that same time, I also began to take on financial responsibilities of my own for something. Yeah. Whether, you know, I think early on it was just like, if you want some, like a hat or some piece of clothing that's beyond the necessities for school, then here's your money to buy that. Mm -hmm. Later, video games. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I'd gotten into junior high, I was actually making quite a bit of money, and my parents took the stance, we will buy you this pair of jeans for school, which were the greatest abomination to life, <laughs> or you can use your money and go buy the jeans you want. And mm -hmm. so we've, we've had a lot of pushback with chores around here, and I was wondering and you don't have to answer now, but do we institute a work for pay policy, but also in conjunction with that, now you gotta start buying some of your own things. That's very, I'm very interested in pursuing this. Thread. If there's a way to do it wrong, we'll find it. We will, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, that was that chapter, that's nine. Yeah. We're circling towards the end. We're getting there. We'll get there when we get there. Up on it. Whatever. So, okay. Maybe we can. Never mind. That was not a. That was not going to be a nice thing to say. So I won't. Good for you. We'll just do this. Have a awesome today. Would you? Please do. Okay. Bye. Professional wrestling has had a lot of odd and oddly named moves. The tadpole splash, five knuckle shuffle, pit stop, starship pain, stink face. Never perform any of these on a stranger. <laughs>